This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Monday afternoon, October 16th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. 53 degrees right now under cloudy skies going up to a cloudy, gray, kind of chilly 57 today. Uh, The drizzle along the lakeshore should disappear appear in the next couple of hours or so. The complete forecast from AccuWeather coming up in just a couple of minutes. The markets are starting the week on a strong note. Let's get the latest now on trading from Bloomberg and Ann Cates. Rob, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 355 points. The Nasdaq up 156. The S&P 500 up 49. Traders are gearing up for earnings season. But strategists from Morgan Stanley to J.P. Morgan Chase believe the outlook for profits is weakening and could remain subdued. The five biggest companies in the S&P 500, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and NVIDIA, are projected to post a 34% increase in earnings. With today's gains in the stock market, BMO Capital Market says it reflects relief at the absence of a significant escalation in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Back to you, Rob. Thanks, Anne. We'll check in with you at 1223. The clear winner at the weekend box office is a music megastar. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the week ahead will include the latest report on retail sales, plus appearances by several regional presidents of the Federal Reserve. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Carl Ricadana, Chief U.S. Economist, BN P. Paribas, based in New York. Carl, thank you for joining us today. A busy week of uh, information that goes just above and beyond uh, official reports on the economy from the government. Uh, Over 10% of S&P companies will report uh, quarterly earnings. And when when, when this week is said and done, does that pretty much tell the story typically of how earnings season is going to go? I think it'll set a pretty strong precedent. Now, if we look at the underlying macroeconomic conditions for that earnings season, it's a quarter where the economy was performing uh, quite strongly. So uh, I think that there may be concerns about earning power going forward. Uh, But as we look at Q3, it was probably GDP growth in the vicinity of three and a half or even better uh, based on the the range of forecasts. And uh, that means uh, there was decent job growth in the quarter. There was decent consumption in the quarter. Overall, economic momentum looks solid, and that should translate into uh, a decent uh, earnings profile. But the real question is, as we go into the fourth quarter of the year, where lots of those factors change, Uh, We suspect the pace of hiring will be slower. Uh, Households are now uh, facing higher interest rates. Uh, Those student loan payments are uh, a a lead weight uh, hung around the uh, neck of the the economy as well. And so we're looking for a pretty pronounced downshift between Q3 and Q4 
of this year. Of course, that will be in the Q4 earnings story, so we'll have to have this conversation again uh, in January of next year, I suppose. And then uh, speaking of the health of the American consumer, the uh, report on retail sales is out tomorrow. And what is the economist forecast for what uh, we can see tomorrow morning? Well, we're looking for a a relatively muted uh, gain. Uh, My own team is looking for about a 0.1% increase in retail sales. Now, part of that is gasoline prices, which came down uh, towards the end of the month. So that should weigh on overall activity. Uh, But the the story is really what happened across the quarter. We uh, saw very strong consumption numbers early on in the quarter. And it looks like as we got to September, things were definitely downshifting. And if that cross-quarter trajectory appears to be decelerating, then that would very much factor into that other theme I just mentioned, which is then Q4 looking much cooler than Q3. We're talking to Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist BNP Paribas, based in New York. And then Wednesday, we have the report on housing starts, and there are a couple of cross-currents in the housing market uh, that kind of are leading to it locking up as it has. And that is you have higher mortgage rates that are uh, keeping people from uh, potentially buying new homes. You have a lack of inventory that's also scaring people away from the market. But when it comes to addressing that lack of inventory, uh, home builders are also dealing with higher interest rates. Yes. So we haven't had uh, really kind of uh, market clearing activity with the uh, volume of uh, those resales so depressed Uh, It's forcing a lot of people into the new construction market. So builders uh, for much of this year were feeling optimistic because prices were elevated. There was limited inventory. And so that meant some demand uh, moving into the new home uh, sales category. Now, what we've observed more recently uh, is builder sentiment has fallen off. And whether that's Uh, traffic of prospective buyers or their assessment of current or future selling conditions, we've seen all of that deteriorate in the builder sentiment surveys, uh, which means that maybe that flurry of activity, which you've rightly identified, uh, maybe that was a short-term phenomenon. And now the the reality of those 7 and 8% mortgage rates uh, is ultimately going to be the, the gravitational force that pushes activity uh, lower. So that's something to watch for in the starts data uh, absolutely uh, a little bit later this week. Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist, BNP Paribas, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It was indeed a blowout at the box office over the weekend. Let's discuss the dominance of Taylor Swift on the concert tour and now at the movies with Paul DeGarabedian, senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore based in Los Angeles. Paul, thanks for joining us today. And there's a couple of numbers floating around. When I looked yesterday to see what the total weekend take for the Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, uh, one number had it at $130 million in ticket sales for this weekend. Another one says $96 million. Now, is that $96 million at AMC theater locations only? Or is that at all movie theaters uh, across North America? Rob, great questions, because we were in uncharted territory yesterday because there have been uh, on so many levels. This film has been an outlier uh, the way it was announced. And then six weeks later is in theaters. And yesterday when we got the estimates at Comscore, you know, we were working with AMC and Variance, who is the distributor of record. And the 96 million was the estimate for the weekend domestically U.S. and Canada only. The 128 million number is the global. So 
32 million internationally plus the 96 million domestic. But either way, I mean, and, and then the final numbers have come out today, which I think will be slightly lower. And uh, but that's OK. This is still a huge number for this movie. Is it, this is a blockbuster number, whether it's 93 or 96 million or 128 or 125 million globally? These are found dollars for movie theaters that we didn't even know were going to exist back at the end of August when this film was first announced to land in theaters in the middle of October. And this is not just a movie. It's an event. You don't just sit there and munch on popcorn and sip your pop. <laughs> you get up, you sing, you dance. Uh, my 10-year-old daughter was there uh, yesterday afternoon with some of her fourth grade friends, and people were exchanging friendship bracelets and dancing in the aisles. This is less of a Marvel movie experience and more like a G-rated version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Absolutely, you said it so well, or Woodstock for kids. I, I don't know. It's really kind of cool. Very positive situation and actually goes against all the traditional protocols of you sit in a movie theater and you're very quiet and you may munch on your popcorn, but you may not be on your phone. All these rules go out the window. It was definitely not a quiet place in theaters this weekend. I think it's really cool I, uh, from people that I talked to that attended this it was a great time. It's a rather long movie. It's really a concert. Uh, the whole concert is like two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. So it's great for theaters. It's, it reminds uh, people of the importance of the movie theater experience. And think, too, of all those Swifties that were seeing the trailers and in-theater marketing for all the upcoming films. That's going to bring those fans back to the movie theater so on so many levels, this is uh, really positive. But I think a lot of us, uh, uh, myself included, we got over our skis a little bit in predicting 100 million plus domestic opening. It's certainly doing that globally. But no matter what, great news for theaters, a lot of revenue being generated this weekend. And then very quickly, what kind of legs will this movie have? I'm guessing uh, the, the group that went this weekend is probably planning on going back. Uh, I know I'm taking the other two to see it on Friday. Uh, my yeah. other two daughters, they're going to go on Friday. So there are people who didn't go this weekend, will go next weekend, and maybe this could stay in the theater through Thanksgiving, possibly Christmas? Absolutely. I mean, this is the gift that keeps on giving for theaters. And if it's still drawing audiences in those repeat viewings to get that experiential part of it and at a much reduced price from a ticket for one of Taylor Swift's, you know, arena shows, a much higher ticket price. I think it will do well. And then I think I believe she's back on tour internationally in November. So she could be on tour and have a movie in theaters at the same time worldwide. Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore in Los Angeles. Thank you for joining us today. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Some analysts believe Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are currently undervalued. Let's get some insight from Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com based in Washington. Mark, thank you for joining us today. And, and the last time we checked in on the cryptocurrency space, uh, it wasn't doing so hot. I mean, you, you went, you, we went from from uh, Bitcoin exchange commercials all over the Super Bowl at the beginning of 2022 to Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX uh, facing the music at the end of 2022, and it looked like the bubble had popped. But maybe uh, Bitcoin is starting to roll back and actually might be undervalued. Well, that's right. That is the uh, the conclusion of 
evaluation model that I have found at least to have the best record uh, predicting whether when Bitcoin is over or undervalued. Now, this is a relatively recent invention. It turns out during the early days of uh, Bitcoin, when it was incredibly volatile, I think it was an impossible task to try to come up with any assessment of what its fair value is. But recently, a number of researchers have come up with a variety of models, and this one has an incredibly good track record, I think. And it shows that uh, uh, Bitcoin's fair value right now is in the low 30,000s range. So it, uh, it would be about a 10, 15 percent increase in current prices. And 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 I think the lesson everyone has learned maybe from the first uh, crypto bubble popping uh, nearly two years ago is that uh, you, you have to be ready to deal with the volatility and, uh, you know, kind of get over your fear of missing out. And that uh, a lot of these models that you talk about is that you really have to be kind of uh, comfortable with speculation to enter this market in the first place. Yeah, I think that's very fair, though. It's also interesting to point out that if you come up with this estimate of fair value that this model I'm referring to that uh, calculates, the Bitcoin's re- uh, volatility relative to that fair value is no greater than it is for the stock market or for any of the other assets. All assets, we have to remember, trade well above and well below fair value. They don't always stay right on exactly what its fundamental fair value is. And so uh, even though Bitcoin has its reputation of being incredibly volatile, and indeed that reputation is deserved, that a lot of it comes from in the very early days, the go-go days of uh, Bitcoin volatility. But in recent years, it's no more volatile relative to fair value than the stock market is, for example. Basically, volatility is inherent to any of these assets. This has got to be a fascinating time for people like you, just in the sense that we're watching an asset class uh, being developed in real time. I mean, no one was really, no one alive today was around for the beginning of the stock market. No one alive alive today was the around for the very beginning of, of the buying and selling of real estate. And clearly no one alive today was around for the discovery of gold. But here we are, you get to see this thing develop in real time. And what are we learning? I mean, what have we learned about how markets develop in watching uh Bitcoin and cryptocurrency evolve. Well, you're you're absolutely right. It is a very exciting time, and I think humility is probably one of the first things we always have to remember. And the lesson to learn from from this is uh, that uh, a lot of experts will claim that they know what's going on, and uh, all they can say is that they have a good guess. Hopefully, it's better than a guess, but there's no certainty when it comes to things like this because we are creating new new realities in real time. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead, a look at deploying artificial intelligence to the battlefield. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A third party says there's a path for the release of hostages in the war between Israel and Hamas. There are developments in the weekend death of a young Muslim boy in the southwest suburbs. The number of phone scams is on the rise, courtesy of artificial intelligence. And it's Stock Picker Monday. We'll get a couple of suggestions from an investing pro. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 299 points. The Nasdaq is up 127. The S&P 500 up 40. 53 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies going up to 57 today. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour is Iran's foreign ministry says Hamas would be willing to release hostages if Israel meets certain conditions. The details from correspondent Karen Chamas. Iranian Foreign Ministry spokesman Nasser Kanani told reporters in Tehran that Hamas are ready to release the citizens that are held captive in Gaza. But, but their point was that such measures require preparations that are impossible under daily bombardment by the Zionists against various parts of Gaza. The militant group hasn't acknowledged making such an offer. Iran's theocracy is a main sponsor of Hamas in its fight against Israel, Tehran's regional archenemy. I'm Karen Shamas. Members of the Chicago-area Palestinian community are speaking out about the stabbing death of a six-year-old boy from Plainfield and the wounding of his mother. The attack, which left Wadea Al-Fayoumi dead, is being investigated as a possible hate crime stemming from the Israel-Hamas war. Ahmed Rehab is the executive director of the Council on American-Islamic Relations in Chicago. That is part of fanning of the flames. Uh, otherizing and, and, and scaremongering against Muslims and Palestinians in this country. And instead, what we find is that a Palestinian child and his mother have been stabbed. One, one is killed and one is lying in the hospital. So it's a complete reverse of, of what was warned about. The funeral for Wadia takes place this afternoon at the Mosque Foundation in Bridgeview. The suspect, 71-year-old Joseph Chuba, is due in Will County Court at 1.30 today. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are gaining ground today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer, Crescent Capital, based in Chicago. Jack, thank you for joining us today. Uh, after a, a week of volatility last week, I was kind of surprised to sit down at 10 o'clock this morning, look over at the uh, at, at the major indices, and to see the Dow was up 400 points at 10 o'clock this morning. What's uh, driving the rally today? Yeah, it looks like um, the, there was news that President Biden may be going out to Israel. It seems that for for, uh, for the most part that diplomacy is in full court press, and perhaps investors are somewhat uh, assuaged that maybe this uh, conflict won't spread beyond that just you know local region. Earnings season continues, of course, and uh, 10% of the S&P 500 will belly up to the analysts uh, this week to uh, talk about what happened in the third quarter. And will that set the tone for the rest of earnings season? I think it will. I mean, this was the first uh, quarter in, geez, four quarters anyway, where we're actually expecting positive year-over-year profit growth, um, you know, around the the 3% mark, but still uh, positive nonetheless. And, you know, we're going to get a broad swath of uh, retail, and uh, um, I think Tesla's coming out um, over the the next week. And, you know, we're going to see, get a pretty good sense of how strong the consumer actually is. 
We're talking to Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer, Crescent Capital, based in Chicago, on the subject of the strength of the consumer. An interesting uh, uh, point that I saw over the weekend, and that is uh, just about where we are in the fight against inflation. And for the last two years, the discussion has been about interest rates, interest rates, interest rates. That's going to slow down the economy. That's going to that's going to knock down inflation. But it's a two pronged approach, and now we're seeing some uh, tightness in the credit markets, as evidenced by the higher bond yields driving interest rates even higher. And is that in and of itself inflationary? Um, you know, that's a, it's a, a tough call because um, generally it isn't. Um, uh, historically, the Fed uses the interest rate as, a, as, as kind of a, a governor on the, uh, on the economy. And, you know, to the extent, uh, I suppose, uh, companies try to pass along their higher financing costs uh, to consumers, you know, it's it's uh, there's a possibility. Yes, prices are going up, but it's sort of like gas prices. Yeah, I'm not sure get higher pump prices are really inflationary. They really act more like a tax. They're drawing discretionary spending away from other uh, goods and services. And then just what about the psychological impact of inflation? Because it seems like um, if you were through an era in which prices rose pretty rapidly, let's say you know people my parents' age who were through, who experienced the entire 1970s into the early 80s, and you remember when everything was 25 cents or 50 cents or a dollar or five dollars when it was a very expensive item. Are, are, is this generation that came through the second round of inflation coming out of COVID, are they going to have that same kind of psychological uh, uh sense about where prices are versus where they used to be? Yeah, I think uh, there is a <clears throat> growing sense that people become accustomed to it. I think that's something that the Fed is trying to avoid, um, to snap this inflation early, because if you think about it, you know, it's, a, it's almost self-fulfilling, right? If you expect the price of an item you're thinking of buying will go up in the next few months, you're more inclined to buy it today. And that Drawing sales from the future into today tends to be uh, inflationary in itself. Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer, Crescent Capital in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Artificial intelligence is being deployed in the battlefield. Let's learn more from Matt Wren, founder and tech expert of VRAR in Chicago. Matt, thank you for joining us today. And although it's not getting the extensive coverage uh, compared to a year and a half ago, but you're starting to see some 21st century tactics and 21st century tech being deployed on the battlefield uh, as Ukraine tries to repel the invaders from Russia. And that this is turning into a case of drone warfare, Matt. You have drones uh, surveilling uh, enemy positions, in some cases uh, dropping bombs on them, in other cases just getting lots of information from grabbing the high ground, that uh, age-old quest in warfare. But now they're using artificial intelligence to process all of the data they're getting from these drones. Exactly. That, that, that's actually one of the best use cases for artificial intelligence. If we, if we want to think about what AI is really good at, it's ingesting and analyzing and, you know, drawing meaning from tons and tons and tons of information. And so on a battlefield, you have information coming from everywhere. It's coming from imagery that might be on drones. It's coming from, honestly, sometimes civilians who are noticing troop movements just, you know, coming down the street and they're texting that into, uh, into intelligence sources. And so it's, 
one of the one of the really powerful uses for AI directly on the battlefield is just ingesting and understanding and evaluating all of that information that's coming in because obviously some of that that's you know along with everything in the military along with information coming in there's also misinformation that the enemies are trying to fool you and they're trying to you know trick you into believing things that maybe you shouldn't that they're going a certain way when they're actually going around a different way and then uh, when it comes to uh, the use of artificial intelligence in warfare to process all of this data to potentially allow human commanders to make better or more strategic decisions, um, is there any literature that suggests that it may even change the face of warfare itself? The idea that uh, armies and tanks and armor are going to just stream across battlefields and then uh, get into engagements, that's going to go away because now you have uh, smart you you have AI and also drones at your disposal. You don't need armies anymore. I mean, you know, nobody. I don't think anybody ever wants to to get to the point where you have robots fighting robots. I mean, if you think about that, at that point, the biggest concern you're going to be worried about is collateral damage. It's okay. Maybe soldiers aren't fighting soldiers anymore, but are the robots going to be smart enough to stay out of civilian, you know, to stay out of civilian areas to not cause collateral damage? Because the, if, if the decision is going to be what is tactically the best move versus how do I, you know, look, look at what's happening in Israel and Gaza right now. Israel is using AI massively. Um, the, the whole dome that they have, the, the missile protection that they have, that's, that's a controlled by AI system. But at the same time, if you have to fire weapons into a populated area, how well is AI going to make the decision of, Hey, do I, you know, Will it evaluate there's a tactical solution here versus, well, that tactical solution has a lot of collateral damage. Is it the right decision to make? I don't think you ever want to take humans out of the decision-making process. They need to be there. So I don't think we'll progress to the robot versus robot, hopefully, uh, because, frankly, that's a scary situation. Yeah, they made Uh, some movies about the idea of robots fighting each other, and it didn't turn out too well for the human beings. Yeah, no, it never does. Even drones. Well, and, and let's face it, AI has its limitations. There's this really funny study out of DARPA where they, they basically unleashed a bunch of Marines and said, okay, this AI is trained to detect humans. And the Marines did everything they could to not be detected. They somersaulted towards it. They covered themselves with a box and walked towards it. One guy apparently field tripped a tree and walked towards it. So AI is not perfect. And we got to remember that it's not quite you know, capable of doing everything that the Terminator could do at this point. And once again, we talk about age-old uh, uh, disciplines and practices, and this is another age-old practice of a technology developed for benign purposes being repurposed for war relatively quickly. Well, I mean, I think a lot, let's say that a lot of the research into AI and AI use has come from the military. This is, this is AI is not new to the military. I'm, you know, I've, I've been a military contractor. I've seen a lot of requests out for AI you know, in the research and development phases as well as implementation phases. So they've been doing this for a long time. Um, but it's a part, you know, again, when it comes down to it, it is doing effectively very, very fast math. It's, it's analyzing a lot of information. It's being able to use that information, process it, to determine how to make decisions, which, again, for commanders, for decision-making, that's a great thing. For understanding how to do predictive maintenance on equipment, that's a great thing. For understanding where to apply training to soldiers in the field so they understand where they have to skill up, again, really powerful use cases for artificial intelligence. 
Matt, so it, it's it's not going away. Well, Matt Wren, founder and tech expert VRAR in Chicago. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. And it's Stock Picker Monday. Helping out this afternoon is Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager with Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Two selections today, including a, a well-known consulting company. That's right. Uh, the first one, Rob, Booz Allen Hamilton, the consulting firm that you referenced, uh, they are experts in cybersecurity and have a growing artificial intelligence business. Their end market or customer primarily is the Department of Defense. So as you can imagine with what's going on in Ukraine and then obviously what's going on in the Middle East of late, uh, security and artificial intelligence information to the Department of Defense is becoming more and more important. So Booz Allen, a recipient of that greater security need. And the uh, ticker symbol is BAH. Your next selection, I had to set this up with uh, in Chicago, there's a very well-known commercial for an auto salvage yard where the tagline is, that old car is worth money. And uh, that turns out to be the case for your next selection on uh, Stock Picker Monday. That's right. That's Copart, and they are online auction uh, auto auction leader. And um, just this weekend, I was with a friend who had a rent a car, and with all the sensors and bells and whistles, it seemed like we were in a pinball machine. So cars are much safer, but with all the electronics, when you have a fender bender, which 10, 15 years ago would have been a couple of hundred dollars of damage. Today, it's quickly in the thousands, and you move from, again, a few hundred dollars to a totaled car. So the addressable market for Copart and their online auctions is increasing. So we are seeing um, safer cars, to be sure, but more expensive to fix, and that's helping Copart. And, and on top of that, and this is the interesting thing, is with online auto auctions, you're not just limited to the United States. This can be a worldwide market that they're reaching. That's right. Many, many of the company of the cars that uh, Copart sells, even in the United States, end up in Europe, end up in Asia, uh, end up in South America, where the demand for those cars uh, perhaps more bruised than people in the United States would expect would uh, tolerate is welcome. So as you said, a car sold in Chicago ends up in Columbia or Cairo or etc. Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager, Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Thank you for joining us on this Stock Picker Monday. His selections are Booz Allen Hamilton Holding Corporation, that's B-A-H, and Copart Incorporated, the ticker symbol C-P-R-T. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. 
Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.